0: Hey, Disney fan, have you ever wanted to know how we make the magic or maybe what's happening at Disney every single week? Well, have we got the podcast for you. This is D23 Inside Disney. I'm Sherry from Oh My Disney.
1: I'm Jeffrey from D23.
0: I'm Candice from Radio Disney. And we are taking you Inside Disney.
1: Hello, hello.
2: Hi. Hello, hello, hello.
1: How are you, my favorite humans?
2: Good. How are you?
1: I'm doing okay. Doing okay. I'm still giddy from watching the season premiere of The Mandalorian on Disney Plus. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like anything I say is a giant spoiler <laughs> revealer, so I'm not going to say anything. But oh my goodness, and holy cow, and oh no, what?
2: There oh go, those are my rejection.
1: reactions. There you go.
2: Whoa, <laughs>
0: Candace, what have you been up to?
2: Well, I did go to the Disney store to do a little shopping for Halloween last weekend, and I ended up getting Enzo, like, the Buzz Lightyear full-on, like, wings, gloves, suit, and we kind of had a Halloween fail because he loves Buzz Lightyear, but he put the pants on and then kind of got his arms, like, trapped in the... And the wings, and then (laughs) it was all over. He just wanted to take it off. So I didn't even get a picture of him wearing it, and I'm sad.
0: Uh, It'll be forever a picture in your memory. That's what matters. It will.
2: It will. I still have it, though. So maybe we'll just play dress up from here on out when he's ready.
1: There you go. I think that works. I think that works. And coming up on the show, we have Ted Robletto, who's the creative executive manager and artist for Walt Disney Imagineering. And he is going to talk to us all about the incredible expansion at Tokyo Disneyland that he worked on. And it is all that and more, the Beauty and the Beast themed area with the incredible attraction. And we talk snacks because Sherry loves popcorn. And so we had to, (laughs) of course, go there. I think it's really cool. He talked about some of the hidden things at the fantasy land expansion at magic kingdom that he also worked on that guests should definitely be looking for. So I thought that was really fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Coming up later. Well, let's get to the Disney news. I know I've been saying this since like July, but it's November now, which means it's almost socially acceptable for me to say the holidays are here. Yay.
1: (laughs) Sherry, Target had their decor out like
0: (laughs) 10 days ago.
1: And I'm thinking, I mean, pre-Halloween, that is ambitious. But, you know, I think you are completely able to embrace your holiday spirit right now and through January 31st.
0: Thank you. (laughs) Well, ABC just announced their holiday programming. So get ready to cozy up on the couch, get in the spirit. There are all kinds of beloved classics and new favorites on the roster. I've got a list of highlights. I'm checking it twice. You're going to find out (laughs) what's nice and also nice. (laughs) Well
1: played, well played.
0: First up, Thanksgiving night, it's the Wonderful World of Disney Magical Holiday Celebration,
3: Aww. kicking off the
0: holiday season for the fifth consecutive year, where they look back at some truly spectacular celebrity musical performances, and of course, Disney holiday entertainment. Ugh, I can't wait. I love the Wonderful World of Disney Magical Holiday Celebration every year. It's I the best. And it's an mouthful. Mm. <laughs> so if you, like me, we're a fan of the Disney family sing-along, I've got excellent news. The Disney holiday sing-along is coming on November 30th. Yes, It's another one hour sing-along special with star-studded performances. Those have not been announced yet, but we'll be sure to fill you in as soon as we know. Animated on-screen lyrics, more favorite Disney melodies, and of course, classic holiday songs. I am all about the sing-along and the holidays. I can't stop smiling. I can't wait for November 30th. It's going to be great. (laughs) Also on November 30th is the CMA Country Christmas. Mm
3: -hmm. And then
0: moving into December. On December 2nd, there are going to be holiday-themed episodes of the Goldbergs and Blackish. Yay! Yes, and then on December 9th, the Great Christmas Light Fight is back. It's the eighth season of the show. We'll get to see some truly elaborate and awe-inspiring holiday displays and these households are competing for fifty thousand dollars the stakes are high the decorations are high my spirits are high <laughs> i love, I that, love show. that show it's so fun and then of course the disney parks magical christmas day celebration on oh. christmas day Yay. Oh.
1: ever since i was a kid and and obviously this special has had different iterations over the years Ever since I was a kid, which is, you know, before you were born or possibly your parents were born, (laughs) I... I love that special so much. I would make my family all sit with me because I was so excited about everything new coming, everything at the Disney parks. I loved it so much. And even now, even though, you know, we we know everything that's coming because we report on it every week. And I still am so excited every time they're like, and now this or this just opened. And I mean, I'm guessing they're going to have Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway and it's just going to be like
3: Uh.
0: the
1: excitement all over again. I love this special.
0: Me too. I was just going to
2: say, we usually go down there to cover it for Radio Disney, and it's like the best time ever.
0: Yes. Uh, Well, fun fact from 2013, I was actually friends with a gingerbread man who was in this holiday special that year. Yes, wow. yeah, oh my a little gosh. man with yellow icing, go back and find it. <laughs>
1: Next time we are in person, I need your autograph for that, please.
0: Oh, yes, happy to. <laughs> well, some other holiday hits to look out for on ABC? We've got Olaf's Frozen Adventure, Toy Story That Time Forgot, Santa Claus Has Come Into Town, The Sound of Music, and so many more.
1: Well, for even more holiday programming, we can all gather around the television or device that you choose to stream your favorite (laughs) shows on for freeforms 25 days of christmas their full schedule has been released d23 has posted it if you want to check out d23's website or their social media but of course many many holiday favorites frosty the snowman rudolph the red-nosed reindeer some holiday films that are going to have their network premieres like almost christmas the star dr seuss's the grinch And the Toy Story Trilogy is going to be airing, the Santa Claus Trilogy, (laughs) Disney's A Christmas Carol, Miracle on 34th Street, Home Alone, Very Muppet Christmas, Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas, and holiday-themed episodes of The Simpsons, and much more. There's so much stuff, so tune in, Freeform's 25 Days of Christmas.
2: All right, guys, a little music and sports real quick, starting with the 2020 American Music Awards, which are happening live on Sunday, November 22nd at 8 p.m. Eastern on ABC. We have a host. It is Golden Globe winner. She's also an Oscar and Emmy nominee. I'm talking about Taraji P. Henson, Uh, which is going to be very fun. Yeah, I'm excited to see her host this thing. We should mention Radio Disney artists Justin Bieber, Lady Gaga, and Taylor Swift are all nominated in four categories. Also, Dua Lipa is going to be performing at the AMA's. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Okay, there's your music. A little bit of sports because I have to. ESPN (laughs) has unveiled a 35-game college football bowl season schedule. So there's 35 games included. And bowl season is going to start December 19th with ESPN Events Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl. So the schedule includes the Rose Bowl, which we're all fans of, of course, and the college football playoff national championship presented by AT&T. That's going to happen Monday, January 11th down in Miami. So ESPN, all the college football you could ask for coming up uh, later this year, guys. There you go.
1: I really like a good rice bowl and a
0: a burrito bowl. bowl.
1: I like like...
0: a poke bowl. Ooh, a poke bowl.
1: (laughs) See, (laughs) now these are my favorite bowls. These are a few (laughs) of my
0: favorite
1: (laughs) bowls.
2: Bowl season, guys. Bring it.
1: (laughs) And D23 has just announced that the winter 2020 edition of Disney 23 will have soul on the cover it's actually a gorgeous Ooh. gorgeous exclusive cover i'm so excited to work with the team on that and there's interviews of course with jamie fox and tina fey Pete doctor plus as a special bonus each issue, which goes, of course, exclusively to gold members of D23, the official Disney fan club, are going to get a set of holiday-themed gift tags and a special offer from the Disney Collect by Tops digital collectibles app. So that's sort of cool. And oh. a lot more in there, I luckily, because I work with the incredibly talented team who puts it together, I've gotten to read all the stories, excellent stories about the new wonderful world of Mickey Mouse show that's going to be debuting on Disney+, Plus: Black Beauty, Godmothered, and On Point, all coming to Disney+, plus, 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 plus. plus, plus. plus. Exactly. The team behind the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special explains how they pieced together this hilarious (laughs) and heartwarming story and how it pays tribute to the 1978 classic Star Wars Holiday Special, which is one of the most unique pieces of television ever created. (laughs) A lot of Disney Parks content in there as well. Tom Fitzgerald, the Imagineer, who is a wonderful and talented human being, talks about creating Remy's Ratatouille adventure coming to the France Pavilion at Epcot. We go to Hong Kong to look at the spectacular new Castle of Magical Dreams. And in fact, the back cover is a gorgeous shot of one of the uh, finials of the castle the issue also celebrates 20 years of disney california adventure with a preview as well of the upcoming adventures campus so that is going to be shipped out later this month to d23 gold members and for more you can visit d23.com
2: yay what else can we visit d23.com for
1: It's time for five fantastic things to watch this weekend. Courtesy of our friends at D23, the official Disney fan club. For complete details and more information, visit D23.com. First up, Sherry, what do we have?
0: Wow, thank you, Jeffrey. Uh, First up, we've got on Friday, (laughs) November 6th, a new episode of Shark Tank on ABC. In this episode, we get to hear some pitches for a salt alternative, a spring-loaded cake stand, and some more nifty new products. <laughs> love nifty new products. Yes.
2: Also happening November 6th. Disney's a Christmas Carol. It's new to Disney Plus. So this is the Jim Carrey Ebenezer Scrooge version that we all know and love. You guys know the Christmas Carol mm-hmm. story, but it's finally coming. Never to heard Disney of Plus. it. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Holidays.
1: I love that. That version's really cool. I like the Jim Carrey.
2: I do too. His
1: interpretation of Ebenezer. Also on November sixth, Mister Magoo is new to the Disney Plus library. And fun fact: Mister Magoo's first name is Quincy. I did not know this as a oh, child growing up. I don't I think that they ever. That yeah, did not know that, but there you go. Leslie Nielsen plays yeah. the lovable but eccentric, bubbling millionaire.
0: And on Sunday, November 8th, it's the network premiere of A Wrinkle in Time on Freeform, Mm. directed by true icon Ava DuVernay and starring icons Oprah, Reese Witherspoon, Mindy Kaling. I mean, the list goes on and on. I loved this book as a kid, and the movie is just extraordinary. Disney Legend Oprah. Disney Winfrey. Legend Oprah Price. Winfrey. Yes, mm-hmm. I
2: talked to her on the red carpet at D23 <gasps> Expo a couple of years ago for that movie, and it was oh, a moment. Wow. It was a moment in time.
0: She is someone I'd be truly starstruck by.
1: I interviewed her as well at the Expo for Ah, D23. Wow.
0: Y'all are both dropping this so casually. Sorry.
1: Sorry. I am not usually nervous. I mean, you guys know that for years before I I came to Disney, I I was a magazine editor. Like, I interviewed lots of people. I was so nervous to interview Oprah. (laughs) I couldn't believe it because I had, like, a bunch of time with her. So I was like...
0: (laughs) Oh, I had one question. So... (laughs)
1: But I'm sure you did it perfectly.
0: Well, thank you. Well, I had zero questions.
1: (laughs) Well, Sherry, now I have many
0: questions.
1: (laughs) All right. But our fifth and final item of five fantastic things to watch. um, I have talked about this a bunch. It is an exceptional film. Rebuilding Paradise will have its network premiere on National Geographic. It is about how the city of paradise, California, rebuilt after the devastating firestorm that engulfed their town from academy award-winning director ron howard so definitely if you've not already seen it tune in all right let's get to our guest as executive creative director for walt disney imagineering ted robletto is involved with the creation of disney parks and resorts attractions and manages creative development by designers and various specialty disciplines through an attractions design and installation process He worked on the incredible Fantasyland expansion at Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom, which I'm a huge fan of, the first ever Marvel attraction at a Disney park, Iron Man Experience at Hong Kong Disneyland, which I'm dying to go on, and he just opened a big expansion at Tokyo Disneyland that includes a massive Beauty and the Beast-inspired area, much to Sherry's delight. Welcome to the show, Ted Robledo.
3: (laughs) Thank you. Good to be here.
0: First off, Ted, I have to ask, you started your career as a music teacher. So how did you end up an Imagineer?
3: Growing up, I pretty much had two, how do I say this? Because I believe talent is earned and first has to start with passion. So I had two passions, two things that I could care about more than anything else. And that was art and music. And for me as a kid, art meant drawing things and comic books and cartoons and of course, Disney films and Star Wars and everything else. And Music was piano lessons and, you know, I listened to music on the radio. And those are the two things I gravitated towards. And when it came time to go into school and college and then and, and this, that, those were my only avenues. And so right out of high school, I was fortunate to get a part-time job as a music teacher at uh, an elementary and middle school, a private school. I thought that that's where I would be sort of moving as far as my career goes. And I would still be involved with art and whatnot. You know, always into comic books and those kinds of things growing up. But then I think when I eventually got to studying music versus just doing music, I quickly realized that, hmm, this is a lot more challenging than I thought it was going to be. So I said, oh, well, what else can I do? Well, I, I, I know that art thing. So I kind of moved across the university campus to the art college and then never left until I graduated. So
2: I love that.
3: So since then, I was lucky, you know, out of college, you know, to land my first real job with Disney Consumer Products and then through a bunch of circuitous kind of career and project sort of uh, adventures I ended up at Imagineering. Wow.
2: That is so cool. Can you talk a little bit about the incredible expansion over at Tokyo Disneyland because most of us haven't been there so can you give a little overview?
3: Yeah I'd love to. I'm proud to say I was part of an amazing team who actually has brought the largest expansion in the history of that park. So what I mean to say that is they've had since they opened up in the 80s several new attractions open up over time, but this is the first time they've done something a project of of this scale. Let's start with the obvious one. You know, we have a huge amount of this project that's dedicated to the classic 91 animated film Beauty and the Beast and it's really exciting. Well, for me specifically, because I I feel like I I cut my teeth on bringing that story to life back in the day, Magic Kingdom for that new fantasy land. So to be able to sort of build on that learning, speaking just for myself, and really expand how we share that story and, and let guests sort of be a part of that story in a bigger way was super exciting for me. So as part of that Beauty and the Beast portion of the expansion, we have a village. Probably the best recreation of that opening scene from Beauty and the Beast where, you know, the song Belle is sung, you know, Bonjour and all that. It starts at Maurice's house. You move through the village and the different shops where some of those townsfolk you saw saying Bonjour to Belle, where they all worked and lived. Gaston's Tavern in Japan, we call it uh, uh, the Tavern du Gaston. (laughs) We have that as well never to be you know left behind we have lafu who is a great admirer of gaston as we know that but you know as much as he's an admirer he really you know wants to not compete with gaston but sort of you know be gaston so he has his sort of smaller version of gaston's tavern or the tavern de gaston next door called lafu simply put it's a little walk up restaurant that's actually attached to his house there that's you know part of this village a lot of guests may not you know, know that, but it's actually his house. And there are little clues in this tiny little door and this giant doorknob that might sort of point people in that direction. And as you move out of the village, you might even see things like there was a scene from the film that had this, this cart that was being drawn by a horse. We've taken that cart and it's a popcorn kiosk. So we call that one the Le Petit Popper, Le Petit Popper.
2: <laughs>
3: which is a funny name. In in a minute you'll you'll find out why it's a funny name. But we move into a forest. There's an actual wine vineyard. We actually have wine grapes growing, just to sort of, again, give as much of that context of that film, right, that Belle and Maurice and Gaston and all those characters sort of like <laughs> lived in. Uh, and to give that to the guests there at Tokyo Disneyland. We even have that that directional sign. Do you remember when Maurice gets lost in the forest when he's headed to that? Desert? Yeah. And he comes across that directional sign with those blade signs. You could barely read the names on them. So we've Got that there, just in case guests get lost. But as they approach what is sort of like the, the hero, if you will, uh, the Beast's castle, you come upon a forest, you hear even some of those wolves that both Maurice encountered and the Beast did as well, you know, uh, later in that story. And it's an amazing full-size castle with a moat with, with mist coming from it, a, a waterfall off to the side, that long bridge, those tall gates, it's, it's all there. That's our Beauty and the Beast area, but of course it doesn't stop there. In addition to Beauty and the Beast for the Fantasyland portion of the expansion, because there's actually a Fantasyland portion, a Tomorrowland portion, and a Toontown portion to this expansion, is the Fantasyland Forest Theater, sort of like nestled up. It's a little bit of a Bavarian artisan style, cute theater uh, with lots of decor. Everything looks hand carved by these, these artisans out there in the forest. Every bit of that theater is hand painted uh, with little um, Bavarian style sort of floral decorations, etc. And that is essentially our Fantasyland sort of portion of expansion. Now we also have a pretty big addition to Tomorrowland, and that's the Happy Ride with Baymax. And this is the first time we've done an actual ride dedicated to Baymax, uh, you know, from Big Hero Six. So. It was super exciting. The creative director on that was Jonathan Friday, and he has done an amazing job to kind of again bring that story to life by bringing that character to our guests in in this unique way. So you guys remember that Baymax is sort of like prime directive or his, you know his primary sort of responsibility was a with a was a health bot right a healthcare worker if you will and in the same way that he discovered in bringing Hero out of his sort of like slump, you know, if you remember the movie Big Hero Six, he was you know pretty sad and still and, and, and in a bad place because of the tragedy that happened with his brother. But there was this moment where he takes Hero on this flight right over San Francisco. He notices that Hero's like you know heart rate goes up and his adrenaline goes up and he's you know he's he's feeling a little better now. Well, this. Happy Ride with Baymax is essentially there to do that, but for the Disneyland guests. So guests board these vehicles that are pulled by healthcare robots like Baymax, and they're pulled through this, I'll call it, I don't know what, a giant machine with lights and sounds and music that basically kind of gives them this thrilling experience that hopefully makes them happy. And from the videos that we saw online, I think it's working. We have six Mm -hmm. original new songs that were created exclusively, for this ride, they're super, super catchy. They're both in English and in Japanese, and they are just as much earworms as the Main Street Electrical Parade song. So, to me, you know, Baymax and those songs are a little bit of a sleeper hit because I know that a lot of parts of this expansion have gotten a lot of attention, especially when you go into how amazing, you know, the Beauty and the Beast ride turned out, et cetera. But Boy, the, the combination of that music and the lights on Happy Ride with Baymax is, honestly, it's not. I know this sounds like hyperbole, but it's, it's unique. And I don't know if I've seen anything like it before at any of our parks.
1: Some of the videos that we've seen posted on the Parks blog and Tokyo Disney's YouTube page, The Enchanted Tale of Beauty and the Beast is absolutely next level in immersiveness and storytelling. What is the thing or a couple of the things that most impress you with the final product?
3: So many things. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I I have to say, as someone who, you know, was was part of this team, who worked so hard on it, it's easy to become a little, I don't want to say biased, but a little, maybe a little more sensitive to certain parts of an attraction or a show than others. Because we know, as as the folks who who work to kind of get it done and, and make it happen, that there's some things that were, you know, especially challenging. It's show, it's magic, it's all those things. And sometimes you don't really know if we've done our job until we have real guests sort of in the space, on the ride, hearing, seeing, experiencing it. And I think one of the things that we were very confident in and very sensitive to making sure it was just great that did sort of live up to our expectations as far as how guests reacted was this transformation moment where the prince, well, I should say the beast rises up into the air and transforms into the prince. That was a really dramatic moment from the film. And to pull that off, then the folks on the team, the Imagineers who just figured out a way to make that thing happen, it's really something to see. And it's great to sort of hear the gasps from the guests. One of the other things I'm really... Happy with how it turned out. Um, and I know everyone wants to talk about the Be Our Guest scene, which is amazing, but I think we had high confidence in that, especially because, you know, we knew we could do Lumiere. We we did Lumiere and brought him to life for Enchanted Tales with <laughs> Belle in Magic Kingdom. And we knew with the magic at hand that we could make objects come to life. But I think the one other sort of moment in that attraction that I'm actually very, very proud of and very, very happy with the way it turned out, is actually not on the right itself, but it's the pre-show. And the pre-show, I don't know if you've seen it, because the videos don't do it justice. You have to be there in the space, but you're essentially going into that large foyer that when both Maurice and Belle enter into the castle, there's that giant sort of room, right, with a staircase directly in front of them. Well, that's where guests enter into. And at the top of the staircase, uh, we have this stained glass window, and Essentially, the prologue to the film plays itself out on the stained glass window. You start to see that stained glass window start to come alive and, and morph and go through the scenes of that prologue of how you know the prince was visited by you know that stranger who later turned out to be an enchantress, and then how the curse fell upon he and the, and the castle. That all kind of plays out in this beautiful way, being inspired, of course, by the artwork from the film, but what our imaginary media designers did was sort of like kind of take it to the next level uh, and make it literally move and come alive. You're seeing like stained glass move and come alive and you're seeing through it. So it's not just some thing that we come to know. You can actually see through it and see like a brick wall behind it. And if you moved around, you know, it's, it's a window.
0: So did you partner with Walt Disney Animation Studios and any of the team from the movie to bring the story to life?
3: Yeah, we did actually. So we worked with Walt Disney Animation Studios, a team that's dedicated to sort of helping us sort of develop animation and characters for whenever we need them for uh, an attraction. It's the same team uh, that works with us when we're doing Pixar-based rides as well. So that might be, you know, creative directors and and animators and other technology people, but they are the ones who are responsible for giving us sort of the on-model kind of look for our characters as audio-animatronic figures, but they give it to us in a digital form. They'd handle a lot of the sort of 3D, sculpting so in this case this is the first time that the beauty and the beast characters have ever been rendered in 3d so we really needed their expertise because you know they're the ones who you know who really birthed these characters in that way from that film so we went to them and in fact we actually got to work with a couple of the original animators from the 91 film in fact one of them did some 2d animation For one of the scenes in our queue line of the Beast, sort of, you see the shadow of the Beast sort of banging on the door, the room where where Bella's locked herself in saying she doesn't want to come to dinner. So that was really fun, you know, to have that legacy of folks who worked on that film originally be a part of this new attraction. I mean, what else can you ask for, right? Mm.
2: Totally. And you actually built Beast's Castle. Of course, we have the smaller version down at Walt Disney World's Fantasy Land, which by the way, is one of my favorite memories from working at the company because I actually got to be there when it opened and eat gray stuff. And it's the first time I'd ever been to any parks event ever. And so I have a soft spot for Fantasy Land at Walt Disney World. But talk a little bit about making sure that Beast Castle could really hold up next to Cinderella Castle, but not detract from it? Because that seems like a, a lot of pressure building Beast Castle.
3: Yeah, um, it was, I won't say it was pressure, I'd say it was challenging. <laughs> but luckily for us, you know, we've got over 100 disciplines at Walt Disney Imagineering. And our architecture department, our concept architecture department was super talented. And one of my favorite people at, at Imagineering, Oscar Kobos, he came up with this beautiful sort of interpretation of the beast castle again based on some of the castles that we've done in the past so you mentioned the one that's on top of the Our Guest restaurant in florida well we also have a beautiful version that was done years ago for the storybook boat ride that's there in, in paris Disneyland, as well and so even when we were building the one in florida we kind of looked back at sort of the legacy of this castle being rendered in 3d we even looked at what consumer products had done for some of their collectibles so when it came time for us to build you know a full-size beast castle, we took from those learnings and really sort of expanded on that. So one of the things that we were being sensitive to, and you bring up Cinderella Castle, was we wanted to make sure that this had a very distinct feel compared to Cinderella Castle. One of the ways we did that was with the palette, right? The palette is this grayish, purplish tone that if you see shots of the castle in the film, that's really what inspired us, when it was cursed, when the castle was cursed. The biggest difference, I would say, is what we call the architectural ornamentation. So things like spires and corbels and, and, and whatnot. Uh, ours are all sort of adorned with edgier, let's say, elements like gargoyles and you know, these lion heads for capitals on columns, um, and these griffins that you know, greet you at the door. they're very intimidating. Um, and, you know, it's a cursed castle. We wanted to sort of give it more of an edge, right? So it it looks like something that hasn't been kept up because, quite frankly, the groundskeepers are now enchanted objects, so they can't clean the castle. So, you know, it's got a little bit more wear to it, you know what I mean? It's got a little bit more staining and and, and shadowing. Uh, It just gives you a very different feeling. You know, when you walk up to Cinderella Castle, it's uplifting, it's happy. You know, you want to, you're just drawn to it, you know, for all those happy reasons. The Beast Castle, it's a little bit more, or I should say a lot more intimidating, and then when you sort of add those other elements like this mysterious mist, and then you hear these sounds of crows and wolves, it's just a completely different character. It's a lot more foreboding, a lot more intimidating than Cinderella Castle.
0: Well, speaking of the Walt Disney World Fantasyland expansion, since many of us are not able to get to Japan right now, sadly, what are some of the coolest details in the expansion at Magic Kingdom that guests may have missed, even if they've been many times?
3: You know, there's two elements. There's a few things that after we did Be Our Guest Restaurant and, and created a lot of original design for that restaurant in that area that we were very happy with the way it turned out that we decided to sort of bring to Tokyo. And namely, it's a lot of the sculptures that you see. I know if you're familiar with the Br Guest restaurant, mm-hmm. there's a, a cute little gargoyle guy who's clinging on to the, the lampposts. There's six lampposts on that bridge, and, and they're mm-hmm. kind of looking at you. He looks a little meek. You know, we love that design so much that we brought that over to Tokyo. If you get to the front door of Br Guest, it's surrounded by these sort of two guardian lions, right, with these ram horns, just to sort of signify, you know, that in the beast's world, there's a mishmash of, you know, different creatures, just like he is and then these crows above these lions that have like snake bodies. We loved that, how that turned out so much. And we decided, you know what, we're going to bring that over to Tokyo as well and put that on the Beast Castle there. It was an inspiration from the film itself, but, you know, again, the Imagineers who worked in that sort of interpreted that and sort of took the spirit of that and took it to the next level. And it was done so well that, you know, that's a detail we thought, you know, we got to have like... I don't know what the word is, but just repurpose that. It's so good, we got to do it again. So we brought it to Tokyo. So for folks going to Magic Kingdom, I guess in the back of the head, you can say, hey, I'm seeing a little piece of Tokyo too, because now it's on you know two ends of the world. But the one thing that I think is a hidden detail, and it's actually not so hidden, but something we've carried over to Tokyo as well and have sort of embraced as maybe at least in the theme park world of Beauty and the Beast being part of the story or the canon, if you will, is the coat of arms that's supposed to belong to the prince's family. So it was originally developed by a graphic designer, Walter's Imagineering, super talented Joanna Hamaguchi, and she actually helped us out for a lot of the designs for *Enchanted Tale*, *Beauty and the Beast*. When it comes to the signage and whatnot, she designed the marquee for the Our Guest Restaurant and basically built it around this coat of arms, this fictional coat of arms. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's basically the sign of the restaurant with the rose, mm-hmm. the lion, and, and the fleur-de-lis. We decided to kind of like embrace that and use that in a lot of different places throughout that Beauty and the Beast area there in Magic Kingdom. So you might see it in the restaurant incorporated, but you actually also see it in Enchantment Tales with Belle, where you kind of magically get transported to the castle. If you look at the shield, Above Lumiere on the mantle, it's the same family crest. So that family crest has made its way all the way to Tokyo as well. And we've sort of used it in the same fashion where you might see throughout Beast Castle in Tokyo, in Tokyo Disneyland, there's a mantle. And just like the film, right in that sitting room where you see the master, the beast's chair there, you know, the little a footstool dog who can't keep still and in, in, in Tokyo he wags his tail. But you see Lumiere and Cogsworth are on this mantle, sort of t- trying to keep still with their eyes closed. Well, on that fireplace mantle is that same crest, again, sort of repeated. And you go throughout the rest of the castle, there's suits of armors, and some of them, you know, uh, in that space as well, there is that same crest. So, so we've sort of embraced this now as you know, the official crest of the prince's family. Oh, and I forgot to mention, on the way out of the castle, after the curse is lifted in this very beautiful little garden area, we have a beautiful stone mosaic of that same crest that's on a wall. So folks visiting Magic Kingdom, you had it first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it sort of made its way, uh, you know, at least to another part of the world. We'll see what happens in the future. Maybe it'll live somewhere else as well. Hmm.
1: Back to Tokyo. One of the things I love about Tokyo Disneyland and Tokyo Disney Resort is the popcorn and all the flavors. Mm-hmm. I, may, I may be partial to the shrimp one I tried a few years ago, <laughs> as weird as that sounds. The Big Pop just opened in Tomorrowland. Can you talk about the love of popcorn at Tokyo Disneyland
3: and why there has not
1: been a popcorn shop sooner?
3: <laughs> well, the love of popcorn in Tokyo Disneyland, for the listeners who, don't, who may not be as aware of it as you are, it's something else. I mean, I don't even know how many flavors of popcorn they have at a given time at that park, but the way it's usually worked is they may have one flavor of popcorn, say curry popcorn, in one area, mm. and I'm going to misquote this, say like in a cart near Frontierland or Westernland, in the, is, which is the case there in Tokyo, right, in uh, Tokyo Disneyland, Westernland, right? Well, they may have another popcorn cart in in Fantasyland across from you know Pooh's Honey Hunt that sells honey popcorn. Well- that curry popcorn mm. in Westernland is the only place in all of Tokyo Disneyland Resort where you can get that curry popcorn. That honey popcorn is the only place in all of Tokyo Disneyland, Tokyo Disney Resort, where you can get that honey popcorn. And if you go even across the way to Tokyo Disney Sea, there is something, there's a popcorn cart there or, or a few that have flavors that are just exclusive to those carts in that park, in that land. So I think part of it is A, the variety, but the fact that. You know, you can't just get it anywhere. So why they haven't built a shop in the past, I think that a lot of it has to do with just space. It really took <laughs> us sort of taking back a lot of the old Tomorrowland to sort of create a space big enough to sort of accommodate this appetite, if you will, for all these <laughs> different popcorns. So I'm not exactly sure, but I think they offer three flavors of popcorn at The Big Pop and I think they are exclusive to the Big Pops. So if you think about it for a second, it's like there's three flavors there and one exclusive flavor for some cart in Land, another cart in Adventureland, another cart in Fantasyland, another cart. So, I mean, you know, the variety is huge and they just love it. And I'm glad you brought up the Big Pop because the, the thing I brought up about uh, Le Petit Popper is that in Fantasyland, we have Le Petit Popper, which means the small pop. And in Tomorrowland, we have the Big Pop. So (laughs) (laughs) I won't say we planned it, but I think it worked out in the end that those names uh, relate to each other. May we.
2: Sounds so good. Well, can we talk about Iron Man experience at Hong Kong Disneyland? Because I know when you were working on that, you got to meet Stan Lee, who did a cameo for it. So what was it like to work with him and for him to be a part of the first ever Marvel attraction at a Disney park?
3: Let me tell you, that was, and again, this is going to sound like canned hyperbole, but honestly, that was a, a lifetime moment or game-changer moment for me. He really oh, was gosh. a hero to me. And I've been thinking about this a lot since, not even since he passed, but even before then, after getting to work with him a, a couple times, because you know, I did get to interact with him at least three times during the course of that project. And I tell you, from the first time I met him, he was genuine. He was friendly. He's genuinely and sincerely like, appreciative and proud of those Marvel characters, Iron Man, Spider-Man. You can tell that even you know, being removed many, many decades from creating new Iron Man stories or comic books, that he's still excited about them. Or he was still proud of them. And I think more so, and I think what makes him distinct to a lot of these sort of creators out there, the biggest difference was is he was a, not just somebody who was proud of the work, but he was also a cheerleader of the work. And I think he was also almost like a cheerleader of everybody else, whether we're talking about Aww. John Favreau or who directed the first two Iron Man movies and, and Robert Downey Jr. I mean, he when he speaks of them, he's proud of where they've taken these stories. He, he speaks about Kevin Feige and, and, and the movie studios. There was this just pride that he had that someone had taken these characters and and again just sort of run with it and it was amazing it seems like he never really i don't want to say grew up (laughs) but Hmm. it seemed like his enthusiasm for you know the avengers and iron man and spider-man was the same as it was when i was reading stan's soapbox which is this little column that he had in the comic books when i was reading as a kid Mm -hmm. I'm sorry to kind of keep going on about Stan Lee because again, he's a big hero of mine. But one thing I really also appreciated about Stanley is that he spoke his mind. And unlike a lot of other creators and people who were not just responsible for a business, he was the editor of Marvel at the time, but he would take his soapbox, is what it was called, to sort of, you know, you know, share his voice because he knew that there was a community out there. It's interesting. I think he was a bit ahead of his time as someone who realized that fans were a community. And that there could be a dialogue between fans and creators. And it's interesting. I think now we take it for granted, you know, with Disney and Marvel and whatever you're into, Star Wars, any of those things, right? I think we all appreciate now, especially with the internet, that there's a relationship between the creators and their fans. And there's a dialogue that wants to happen and and kind of needs to happen. I think in a way, Stan Lee was kind of the predecessor of that because, you know, he would you know, answer people's questions as they wrote in letters about these characters and all those kinds of things real time. And, and a little bit reflecting on what we're doing right now, right? So I don't think Stan Lee gets enough credit for that. So I just had to put that out there.
1: Well, we love to ask people who worked on some of our Disney favorites what their Disney favorites are. So ready?
3: Mm-hmm. Favorite
1: Disney parks attraction.
3: Ooh, gosh, that's hard. I'm going to say Jungle Cruise. Cool. Yeah.
0: Okay. Favorite resort to stay at?
3: I've stayed at some. I'm lucky enough to have stayed at some. I really (laughs) like the boardwalk.
1: Mm.
2: Oh, that one is nice. And
1: very convenient access to Epcot as well as a a, a quick walk to Disney Hollywood Studios. Exactly.
2: Yes. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Favorite resort to visit?
3: Maybe Wilderness Lodge. I think when I lived out there in Florida, I never—I uh, probably only stayed there once. But you know, with my family and I, when we go to dinner or want to, you know, do the little speedboats and things like that, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, we always ended up at Wilderness Lodge. So I guess that means we liked it a lot. <laughs> so
1: I huh. love Wilderness Lodge. You can yeah. see the geyser go off, all of that. Yeah,
3: there you go. Yeah, it's beautiful. You just you know walk around. The area is beautiful. So yeah.
1: Favorite restaurant?
3: Well, be our guest sorry <laughs> uh, of course, of course. Yes, favorite snack favorite
1: snack okay you can't say shrimp popcorn I already took that one no no <laughs> honestly,
3: the curry popcorn pretty darn good Got that it. sounds
0: mm. amazing favorite character to see in the park
3: I really like Stitch and I don't oh. know if, <laughs> because he's mischievous but when I see Stitch especially in Tokyo Disneyland he's kind of a standout He behaves a little less than the other uh, characters so I kind of like that
2: and finally we ask all our guests this one favorite Disney memory
3: I think my favorite Disney memory is the first time I brought my son who was probably around three years old to meet Mickey to town at Disneyland Aww. because prior to that he'd only seen Mickey do you know TV shows like Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and, and and things like that. And, you know, we really didn't prepare him much for it, but it was a big deal. <laughs> and he was yeah. definitely in awe. So that was kind of nice because, you know, it kind of reminded me of what I do for a living. And kind of like, oh, okay, well, this is the whole point of it, right? Make, making, you know, people happy, kids happy.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Absolutely. thank you so much for joining us today, Ted. You're this welcome. was thank really you. terrific. This was great. Candace and I, we're planning, and, and Sherry, sure, we're, we're planning a road trip to uh, Japan where <laughs> we don't know when that's going to happen, but we're planning it. And it would also have to be a, a plane plane
3: trip, too. I mean, I think <laughs> a road trip would be very difficult, but... Yes. Um, it would be a plane and, and a few trains, just, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, works for me.
1: First, I am so excited to go back to Japan whenever that can possibly happen. And second, I think I have mentioned it, maybe not, but I am headed to Walt Disney World in a couple of weeks. And now I'm going to be on the lookout for some of those details that Ted told us to look out for when we head to the Fantasy Island expansion there.
3: Ooh, yes.
1: Very exciting.
0: Well, thanks again for listening to D23 Inside Disney. Don't forget to like and share this episode wherever you listen or subscribe. And if you want to chat with us, hashtag D23 Inside Disney.
1: And for all the latest Disney info, check out D23.com.
2: And we'll be back next week with more Disney news and a fantastic guest on an all-new episode of D23 Inside
0: Inside Disney. Disney.